On part one of our two-part conversation with Health Rosetta co-founder Sean Chanson, we talk about innovations that are happening today. Next week, we'll ask Sean to look in his crystal ball to talk about what the future holds. So, what are top advisors doing today to bring innovation, control, cost savings, and a better user experience to their clients? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. 2020 has been a completely and totally screwy year. But it doesn't mean that things have not been moving forward, that thought leaders have not been thinking about where we are today, where we're going tomorrow as an industry, and what some of those trends might look like. As a matter of fact, some folks have had some extra time to kind of think about stuff like that. We thought of who's the best thought leader that we can get to come on and talk to us about that. And in our industry these days, when you think about thought leaders, you think about the folks at Health Rosetta among others. And so we've invited Sean Jansen, who is the co-founder at Health Rosetta, to join us on this two-part interview where we're going to start by talking about today, the present, what the context looks like. And then in part two, we're going to have a fascinating conversation about what some of the things that may be coming down the pike look like, what the future looks like. So with that, welcome, Sean. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. So let's level set a little bit. Let's talk about the context and what today's landscape looks like, at least among leading advisors. Yeah, so the I'd say the biggest thing that we're seeing in our little corner of the world is momentum. It would probably, probably be the theme to think about it, is that a lot of the advisors in Health Rosetta's ecosystem have been experimenting and working on innovative models for building plans and building new revenue streams and changing their practices around for years now. And so a lot of them are now thinking these things that take time to just build out, they have to percolate for a while, are starting to mature. And so we're starting to see them grow rather quickly with some of these new models. And so I'd say the overarching theme, despite COVID, and in fact, we probably think COVID's accelerating it because of increasingly focus on costs and, and healthcare generally is that momentum is building for the sorts of things we've been working on for years. So what are those things? I mean, if, if, if we're out there and we're looking at some of these front edge advisors, what are some of the things that they're doing that, that have been percolating and that are now really starting to take root? So I'm going to frame this with a framework a little bit to help quanti- or qualify my answer and, exp- and help contextualize my answer. And the way that we start about thinking about things at Health Rosetta is we start with first principles. And this is really just my partner and I's personalities more than anything is what are the foundational things? And so we looked at health plans and 
what are the jobs to be done? Like, why does a health plan, why does an employer hire an advisor? Why do they hire a TPA? What are they expecting them to do? What are the results? What are the activities? What are the things that they do? And so it's not about what categories or what vendors, but what are the activities and what are the objectives that they have that they want these people to help them achieve? And we've identified that there's only really six objectives that employers have. They want to reduce the plan of this, the cost of the plan for the members. They want to reduce the cost of the plan for themselves. They want to improve the benefits experience for a member, for members. They want to improve the benefits experience or the care experience for members. They want to improve the experience they have as a plan sponsor, whether it's service or, or analytics or risk management or whatever. And they want to improve the quality and appropriateness of care. And really everything that a plan sponsor and employer tells uh, their advisors and others can be boiled down to these things. And so, what we did is we actually like made a, a gigantic list of all the things that plan sponsors want their advisors to do, regardless of who's doing them. And so not that they want done, regardless of whether it's the advisor, the TPA, whoever it is. And what that did is it helped us contextualize what was happening and clear up the noise because it provided a foundation for saying, wait a second, why is an advisor doing this? Why is the TPA doing this? Why are these types of programs existing? Okay, well, they're trying to serve this part of the market. So that's the framework that we think about. And the big theme from that that we've identified is that the lines between what an advisor has done historically, what a carrier, what a TPA has done historically are, have gotten very mushy and very soft. And so you're, we're seeing things like advisors hiring member champions or care navigators or nurses that are actually serving as the interfaces for the um, members for Sometimes just complex things like complex care issues, uh, things like that. Sometimes they're helping them find care and higher quality or better access. In a few cases, they've actually taken over the entire, they're the phone number on the car, on the card for the plan. And so when, when, a, when a member calls the plan, they're calling someone at the advisor's shop in some cases, a very small number of cases still, but ones have been doing it for a while. And so that's the first theme that we're seeing that maturing is that at the end of the day, the plan sponsor employer has certain things they want done by the people that they're hiring to do those things. And they want them to do these things that help them achieve those objectives that I talked about. And they have varying levels of what they care about that are, that's most important of those objectives at any given time. And so advisors that have been experimenting with how can I provide increased service by like these member champions or implementing analytics or whatever are starting to tie it all together. And say, wait a second, what this looks like is not what I started out doing. I started out as like a consultant at most, but now I have a consultant with a, with a specific business model that adds unique value. Simple things like having these member champions show up and be in person with the members on a regular basis. And so they build trust with them. And so when you get into issues of steerage or second opinions or change that happens when you adopt more innovative approaches to plans, the members trust people. And so you don't have as many of the problems of, well, the members don't ever listen, or this can't happen, or that can't happen, because the member knows Jane, because Jane's been around for six months in and out. And Jane's helped on little things. And because they've helped on little things, they're helping on bigger things and they're willing to listen on the bigger things. And then that's where the savings are. Cost savings, quality care improvements, things like that are happening. So that would be the first area of things that we're seeing in the momentum is the these business models that are moving away from how they're, they're moving away from the traditional way of staffing a plan 
as an advisor into new models that may be more member centric. Um, they may be more analytics centric. They may be more contracting and legal centric, especially for employers that are moving away from, from traditional networks. They're doing things where they're building internal expertise on direct contracting or re- actually building relationships directly with providers. Like there's a number of advisors that have just standard structures in place with providers in their backyards and it gives them a really distinct differentiator. So those are, there's more than that, but I would say it all starts with like people being thoughtful about what their business model is. They've been going experimenting kind of ad hoc to respond to their clients' needs as those needs have come up. And in response to that, they've gained experience that's necessary to understand how would I then pull all these things together to create a much more highly differentiated and high value offering. And then they're commoditizing the traditional things like shopping stop loss, even in the self-funded world, commoditizing things like shopping stop loss or actuarial analyses or kind of some of these foundational basic things for self-funding and really moving beyond that. So kind of summing that question or that answer up, I would say that the momentum's coming in years of experimentation, having result resulting in a very good understanding around what is needed to serve plan sponsors and employers seeking to actually make real change to the cost and quality and experience of their plans. And now that they're experimented for three, four or five years, and in a lot of cases, they're pulling it all together into a replicable model and focusing on how do I now grow this? Or how do I now charge more for this? Because we've been all this additional services cost us a lot. And so it's now resulting in new revenue channels and new revenue opportunities that are a lot more highly perceived as differentiated and high value by their clients. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because if I've changed, if I'm an advisor and I've changed my entire value proposition, as we're talking about, obviously there's cost involved for me in doing that, that I didn't have before, but there's also great value for the client if done properly. How does one change the compensation model so that you can stay in business long enough to scale these replicable models? Yeah, so I'd say first is that they go transparent on how they get paid. I mean, it's like a breath of fresh air to employers because Health Rosetta doesn't really have a, we're not one of the traditional players and we get a lot of employers coming to us because we've written books and things like that. They speak more openly about us to us about what they actually think of the healthcare market and the people that serve them. And they don't have the highest opinion of the market as a whole, I would say. And that's not that it's bad. They love the people. But they just don't feel like the people have been, the organizations have been serving them well. And, and it just goes down to like, our costs keep going up. Our members keep complaining. We keep having to shove costs onto our members. And you keep telling us and bring us all these shiny objects. Look, we got this vendor or that. Or we're going to do this or that. And none of it seems to work. So why should we trust anything that you're saying anymore? This has been going on for decades now. So they're somewhat desperate for something that's, um, different. And so we found the biggest thing. The foundational piece is to reestablish that trust and transparency and compensation models, top to bottom, direct, indirect, account specific, non account specific, everything, voluntary, everything goes a really long way to building stickiness with your clients. Because now the advisors look a lot more like your accountants and your attorneys, and especially in the mid market where the CEOs and CFOs are involved, and they look at this gigantic PL line item and they think, well, these people seem very different than, and these things seem very different than what I get from my attorneys and my accountants and my bankers and my, my other like high value professional services. And so 
being transparent in compensation, top to bottom, if anything overly transparent, kind of sets a stake in the ground to reestablish the relationship on a, on a, on more trust. And that's obviously not all the, in every scenario. I'm just saying as a broad theme, you see that. And so we see that as like the first step on this is the need to reestablish trust across the market in the services that are being provided. Because once that happens, you can then go to them with additional models and say, look, here's what you've been getting from services from us normally. We've been experimenting with other clients or, or you're going to a prospect and saying, this is why you should choose us. And here's what we're going to do in addition to that. And it's going to help you achieve your objectives. Again, going back to those main objectives I talked about first in these five ways or these four ways. And it's like a breath of fresh air. And, and then, then they pair that with the changes that they're making around like health Rosetta centric changes in the plan and, and the underwriters are coming back with really good quotes and they're saying, look, you're going to save a million, two million, three million, four million, whatever dollars next year. Let's redeploy $150,000 of it to a dedicated person. Let's redeploy a dollar PEPM or $2 PEPM into this product, uh, this, uh, or this analytics product or whatever it is. And so it opens when you reestablish that trust, that foundation of trust with transparency. And then you come with um, alternative approaches that add additional value and you pair that with the actual changes that are going to real, help them realize their objectives because of the value you're creating. The dollar amounts of what you're getting are pale in comparison to what the, the cost savings that they're going to see or the member quality of care improvements or cost improvements or experience improvements. Again, it depends on the specific objectives of the plan. Some, some Everyone's worried about cost, but some are more worried about cost. Or the value ends up being that, oh, because of these additional services, we feel like we have the structure to tackle larger change than we might have been able to tackle otherwise. And so their worries about disrupting the member experience, things like that, start going away because they know they have support resources to, to get through the change. And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion. When you start talking about tackling larger things, for a while, some of these changes were being bolted onto existing plans, uh, mostly partially self-funded or fully self-funded plans. Are you starting to see advisors architect plans from the ground up? And what does that look like? Yes. I mean, that's where I personally, within Health Rosetta, spend almost 100% of my time is re-architecting from the ground up what these plans look like, how they interact with each other. We call it the Mr. Potato Head problem is... Everyone realizes that traditional health plans are like a misshapen Mr. Potato Head. The eyes and ears are in the wrong spot. They're, they're dirty. They're, they're chewed up. They're all messed up. And, and that, and what I mean by this, it costs too much money. It's not a great experience. It's not great quality care. And it's no one's fault. It's just large complex systems over long periods of time tend to tap. This tends to happen. It's like traffic or something like that. 
And so because there's so many smart people in healthcare and in benefits and everywhere else, everyone's been saying, well, I'm an expert in ears. I can take that misshapen, misplaced ear and I can create the world's best ear. And they go and they create the world's best ear. And it's DPC or alternative networks or new risk models or digital health or whatever. I mean, there's a thousand things going on right now. And they come back to the plan sponsor and they say, look at how my shiny object. And the plan sponsor says, that's a great shiny object. In the back of their head, they're thinking, I don't want another shiny object. I don't want an ear because they go and they put the ear back on the traditional Mr. Potato, misshapen Mr. Potato Head. And maybe the slot for the ear is filled by the nose. And so at best, they end up putting one piece of a nice, pretty ear into the right place, but it's still not what they want. What they want is Mr. Potato Head Superman or, or sorry, Superman, Mr. Potato Head or Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, Mr. Potato Head or Batman, Mr. Potato Head. And that requires re-architecting from the ground up. And we're starting to see advisors do that and basically productize this. So they're solving the Mr. Potato Head problem. This is contracting. It's vendor selection issues. It's cross-vendor collaboration. It's how your underwriter is going to give credits and react to this. It's what analytics do you need? How do you tie the data across multiple players together? How do you get providers involved? How do you communicate with this with members and keep them from getting confused? It goes on and on and on. We've identified about eight different categories of just stuff to do. To, to build from the ground up. And that results in, we're starting to see a lot of standardization, that there's actually a lot of themes. When you've seen so many, like you have hundreds of advisors and hundreds of these plans, you start seeing the themes of what's going on in these things. And we're starting to see a, a kind of a crawl, walk, run versions of these different plans. Crawl might be something that doesn't affect the member experience at all and is invisible to them and is doesn't require much change by the plan sponsor the employer at all. Walk might be something that requires change by the plan sponsor or the member. And then run is something that may, requires change of the sponsor and the member. And, and what we're seeing with this, of re-architecting this, they're not just architecting the substance of the plans and how these fit together, but the process by which you adopt them over a period of time that works for a particular plan sponsor. And if anything, I think the process by which people do that is more important than the substance of what they put in. It's great to have all the parts for a car in your garage, and that car might be a Ferrari. But if you don't put it all together and put gas in it, and you're never going to be able to enjoy that. And so the process by which you put it together and then the process by which you deploy it at each client seems to be where the most forward-leaning people are putting the most energy these days. So that's a long way to answer. Yes, we are seeing people architect from the ground up and essentially productize and they're becoming almost plans into themselves in some cases. And this is a rapidly evolving thing, but um, it's where I spend hundred percent of my time almost. And it's where I see the greatest opportunity is, is almost becoming plans into themselves and not just one, but like infrastructure to do various versions, depending on what the client needs and what they want and their geography and their, how their their age and their preferences and their margins in their company and all these other things that influence what they want to do. So one last question before we move on to talking about the future, which we'll do in, in next week's episode. A lot of this sounds really daunting. Is, is it the province of only large agencies or large groups of advisors, or is this something that even an individual advisor could take on? So, the answer is that both. I, let me reframe my answer to that. I don't think the distinction of whether they're at a big firm or a small firm is what matters because let's, let's use something like this. Let's use direct primary care as an example. 
There are a lot of complexities from an ERISA perspective, from state insurance law perspective, from contracting perspective, when it comes to effectively deploying DPC at the center of a plan. And so you've got all these people that want to do all these things. They just want to bolt it on and lop it onto an existing plan. But if you're really trying to do something interesting, you build it out from the center, from primary care out from the center of the plan. But you need to make changes to your plan documents. You need to make changes to uh, your contracting. It varies by state. In some states, you need to pay the doctors at the end of the month. Some of you do it to avoid insurance issues, and some you have to do in the beginning. Do you disclose it on the 5500? How do you get to work with medical management? It goes on and on and on and on. And even if you're at a big firm, it's not like your ERISA attorneys have a ton of experience of the intersection between DPC and ERISA. And so the likelihood, the fact that you have all that, we have actuaries, we have this, we have that, it isn't really that it's helpful for sure, but it's not necessarily relevant because these are all emerging areas of subject matter expertise. And there's very few people in the country in each of these areas that are truly world-class at it. And so what we've found is that it's less about the size of the firm that the advisor is at and more about the commitment of the advisor and their team to building what they want to build and the, and the willingness of their clients to go along with them. And in some cases, be guinea pigs. And that gets back to this trust issue. And there are clients of some of our advisors that the advisors sort of like put them through hell on the way to success, to utopia. But utopia is like, I get to give raises for the first time in five years to my members. I have had members come and cry to me saying, because my diabetes drugs are free, I get to go on vacation for the first time in five years, or as long as I can remember. I get to, I get to repair my credit. I get to buy a house for the first time. I get to, um, they, they're saving millions of dollars. They can redeploy. They're, I, I mean, it just goes on and on, the benefits. And so having this trust with your clients to walk them to the valley of death for the first couple of times has been really critical among the advisors and ha- them having these structured ones has been really valuable. So I'd say that's it's less about the size of the firm and more about the commitment of the advisor to see it through and get through all the complexity. And it's not overwhelmingly large. It just takes time and focus. And that's a great place to end this week's discussion. Tune in next week when we'll be talking to Sean about the future and what the future looks like. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. 